Have you ever thought in a math class, why on earth do I need to know this? I have a calculator in my pocket. Or maybe there is no way I will ever need to know the derivative of the natural logarithm of x squared. Math is useless. The derivative is 2 over x, by the way. G.H. Hardy, one of the most prominent mathematicians of the 20th century, would agree with you. Math is useless. You'll never need it. In a mathematician's apology, Hardy says it himself. Quote, Is mathematics useful, directly useful, as other sciences such as chemistry and physiology are? This is not an altogether easy or uncontroversial question, and I shall ultimately say no. And yet, Hardy still thinks math is worth your while. Why? Listen in. Princetonian, I'm Gabriel Bear. You're listening to Bookish, a prospect podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about a mathematician's apology by G.H. Hardy. Hardy was born in 1877 and is known as one of the most important British mathematicians since Isaac Newton. He taught at Cambridge and Oxford and was credited for bringing pure, abstract mathematics to the field in Britain from universities in France and Germany. His best-known mathematical work is the Hardy-Weinberg Principle, a theorem concerning gene frequency in biology. But among non-mathematicians, Hardy is best known for a mathematician's apology. The apology is a defense of mathematics, modeled after Plato's Apology of Socrates, in which Hardy gives a multi-part argument for why math is worthy of study. First, mathematics is a subject for the ambitious. Hardy writes that, quote, a man's first duty, a young man's at any rate, is to be ambitious. I don't think I agree with that, but let's explore Hardy's reasoning. If someone is ambitious, skillful, and wants to leave something behind by which she can be remembered, she should, according to Hardy, become a mathematician. For one, if she wants to show off her smarts, math is the best place to do it. Hardy writes that the subject of mathematics is, quote, the most curious of all. There is none in which truth plays such odd pranks. It has the most elaborate and the most fascinating technique and gives unrivaled openings for the display of sheer professional skill. Mathematics is the best arena for an ambitious scholar, according to Hardy. And, if you're good, mathematics brings fame for the long haul. Hardy writes that, quote, Archimedes will be remembered when Aeschylus is forgotten because languages die and mathematical ideas do not. Immortality may be a silly word, but probably a mathematician has the best chance at whatever it may mean. It's a safe type of immortality, too, in the sense that mathematical theories almost never change over time. A squared plus B squared still equals C squared multiple millennia later and few mathematicians have aged poorly with history. 
Mathematical fame, Hardy writes, if you have the cash to pay for it, is one of the soundest and steadiest of investments. But mathematical fame is impersonal. We remember the work of Pythagoras and Archimedes, but we understand the people who were Sophocles and Aeschylus. A mathematician's apology is dedicated to J.M. Lomas, an Oxford cricketer and a great friend of Hardy's. Lomas sums up the anonymity of mathematical fame quite elegantly in an anecdote tucked into a note at the back of the book. Quote, If I had a statue on a column in London, would I prefer the column be so high that the statue was invisible, or low enough that the features be recognizable? Ambition and the desire to be remembered are overrated, in my opinion. Is a lifetime too short a time to be appreciated? If something's going to motivate you to study math, I don't think ambition is a good reason. And this eternal fame one might get for mathematics while it is stable is cold, austere, and lonely. But... I do agree with Hardy's other reason for studying mathematics. Because it is beautiful. Hardy defines beautiful math as math that is, quote, serious or, quote, significant. These adjectives, serious and significant, particularly refer to work that is important within the field of mathematics. And math significance often depends on its abstraction. Math is always abstract, so it can be more exact than engineering or other sciences can ever hope to be. You can never draw a perfect circle, and no matter how many times you measure, you can never cut a board perfectly to size. But 2 plus 3 is always exactly and only 5. But this is only because, to quote Hardy, 2, 3, 5, plus, and equals and all mathematical propositions in which they occur are completely general in the sense of being completely abstract. Engineers or astronomers or biologists or book reviewers can only be so accurate. Mathematicians get to be really, truly right. So a significant, beautiful math proof has to be both abstract and exact. But too much abstraction becomes boring and too far removed from anything we can imagine. If generalization and abstraction was the only qualifier for the beauty of mathematics, then the equation zero equals zero would be the best thing since sliced bread. And it's not. We need some particularity, some twists, and an interesting turn with some real numbers mixed in there to make a truly exquisite proof. And... Just as significant math can't be too general, it also can't be too specific. It can't be something that could have just as easily been figured out by a computer. If a clever freshman computer science concentrator could prove something with a simple algorithm in an hour of concentration, it isn't beautiful. Thus, while it's a little interesting that there are only four numbers that are equal to the cubes of their digits, no one really cares. 
Hardy is careful to point out, too, that mathematics is beautiful for its process, not its solution. Chess players may spend hours observing the middle game, but when they've finished the mate, they leave the table quickly. So, too, with mathematics, the final product may be significant, but the path getting there can be serious and beautiful. Hardy offers one of Euclid's theorems proving that there are infinite prime numbers as a premier example of a beautiful math proof. It's an all-time great bit of mathematical reasoning, but too complicated to explain in a podcast. I encourage a listener to seek it out for themselves. Euclid's prime number proof uses a method called reductio ad absurdum. You pose a situation, show that that situation is logically impossible, and thus you've proven that the opposite must be true. Reductio is one of the smoothest and cleanest methods of proving a theorem. The product is important, sure, but the process is beautiful. In Hardy's words, reductio is a far finer gambit than any chess gambit. A chess player may offer the sacrifice of a pawn or even a piece, but a mathematician offers the game. Significant math proofs need not be, and in fact rarely are, at all practical. Practicality doesn't matter to the mathematician. In fact, they often go far beyond practicality. You probably have a friend who knows a lot of digits of pi. Maybe you're that friend. But you only need the first 12 digits of pi, 3.14159265359, to calculate the circumference of the sun to within the width of a human hair. We're talking significance here, beauty. It doesn't have to matter. Hardy does make sure to note that while math isn't very practical, every field is impractical on a day-to-day basis. In fact, math is probably more practical than the other sciences. Hardy writes that, quote, it is useful to be tolerably quick at common arithmetic, and that, of course, is pure mathematics. But a little chemistry, physics, or physiology has no value at all in ordinary life. But this common arithmetic is nothing more than school mathematics. Pretty much everything beyond integral calculus won't help you much in the real world, just like biology or physics. Hardy puts it succinctly. The school mathematics is, on the whole, useful, and the real mathematics, on the whole, is not. The school mathematics does, and the real mathematics does not, do good in a certain sense. But the uselessness is for good. Hardy writes that mathematicians may be justified in rejoicing that there is one science at any rate, and that their own, whose very remoteness from ordinary human activities should keep it gentle and clean. And this is at the center of Hardy's argument that mathematics is worthwhile. And an argument that comes to the center of my life, too. Hardy writes in the last page of the book, quote, I have never done anything useful. No discovery of mine has made or is likely to make, directly or indirectly, for good or for ill, the least difference to the amenity of the world. I worry about the same thing. I'm in college, but I'm not oriented toward any field that will ever help anybody. I'm an English major and I want to be a journalist. I've spent many hours writing this script that may be listened to by a few people, but probably won't change anyone's life and surely won't make a difference to the identity of the world. Hardy provides his views on critics like me at the beginning of the book, 
as he is, after all, himself a critic of the field of mathematics. He says, quote, There is no scorn more profound, or on the whole more justifiable, than that of the men who make for the men who explain. Exposition, criticism, appreciation is work for second-rate minds. But even though mathematics, just like criticism, is useless, Hardy still says it's beautiful, and he doesn't regret studying it. One reason why is that the purity of mathematics makes it easily suited to collaboration, perhaps the most basic and beautiful of human endeavors. Hardy mentored and collaborated with, for almost his entire career, the English mathematician John Littlewood and the Indian mathematician Srivanasa Ramanujan. Hardy writes over and over in the book that he has never done anything important, but there's only one thing in the apology that Hardy seems truly proud of, and that is, quote, to have collaborated with both Littlewood and Ramanujan on something like equal terms. There's a gestalt that comes from creating something beautiful within a collaboration that is greater than the sum of its parts. Hardy then comes to his final point, triumphantly, at last. The case for my life, then, or for that of anyone else who has been a mathematician in the same sense that I have been one, is this, that I have added something to knowledge and helped others to add more. Mathematics, he suggests, is the purest and most beautiful species of knowledge. So if one wishes to add knowledge to the world, one should do math. I'm not going to be a mathematician, to be sure. But the apology made me remember that even if I do nothing practical or useful, there is still meaning to work that adds knowledge in the world and promotes collaboration. Even if it is impractical and doesn't move the needle on goodness in the world, knowledge and collaboration are ends in themselves. I peck away at my keyboard, doing the work of a second-rate mind, adding my bit of knowledge into the world. This most useless of jobs may still be worthwhile. podcast was written and recorded by me, Gabriel Bear, and was produced on the 145th Managing Board of the Daily Princetonian. It was edited by Cammy Lee and produced by Franny Block, with production help from Isabel Rodriguez. I am proud to have collaborated with Cammy, Franny, and Isabel on something like equal terms. Have a book you want us to review or want to talk about a previous episode? Send us an email at podcast at dailyprincetonian.com. For the Daily Princetonian, this has been Bookish. Have a great day, and keep reading.